Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama, and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Today's guest is Robbie Ferguson, the co-founder and president of Immutable, a Web3 company that consists of two entities, Immutable Platform, a developer platform for building and scaling Ethereum-based Web3 games, and Immutable Games, which is a Web3 game developer and publisher with games like Gods Unchained and Guild of Guardians. Some traditional gaming developers and IP holders are building on its platform too, like GameStop, TikTok, Alluvium, and NFT marketplace OpenSea, to name a few people. In March of last year, Immutable raised $200 million at a $2.5 billion valuation. And last June, it launched a $500 million developer and venture investment fund, which TechCrunch covered exclusively. So there's a lot to jump into here, and we're excited to chat about all things gaming with Robbie. Robbie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. So to start, Robbie, I'd love if you could tell me about one of the most interesting people in crypto you've met or talked to in the past 12 months. And what did you learn from them? Yeah, one of my favorite people and, and, and really interesting people and a little bit controversial is Gabe Layden, who's the founder of DigiDaiQ and formerly the founder of Machine Zone. And the reason I have really enjoyed my conversations with him is a he spent more money on mobile gaming ads than anyone else in history. If you recall the famous Super Bowl ads with Arnie Schwarzenegger advertising Game of War, which were these, you know, massively sort of profitable games where they pumped probably billions and billions of dollars into advertising every year. And the reason he has come over to, you know, Web3 and building for Web3 is he understands that A, pretty much all games monetized by whales, which is 80% of your revenue comes from the top 1% of spenders. And literally, I think he had people in Game of War who were spending millions of dollars, you know, the kind of Dubai princes of the world who were really obsessed with maintaining number one rank. And his vision was, well, we can suddenly deliver these people, you know, 10 times, 100 times the value they're presently getting, because now they can actually be stakeholders and have value in what they're buying in these games. And you can, you know, give them status that actually has meaningful economic value backing it. And the reason I thought this is really interesting is, you know, if you if you listen to me talk, I often go on about how do we take Web3 mainstream via games to hundreds of millions of players? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's incredibly important. But he controversially almost says, you actually only really need to deliver this to 100,000 who are these whales and, and sort of, you know, to give them much more value. And that's a much easier sell to those players. So I think he's very good for the space. I think he's doing a lot of interesting things. He's very passionate about economic royalties. Uh, one of the things I'm also very passionate about is being guaranteed rather than just being eroded away, which is, you know, what we saw with, with Blur and X2Y2 and sort of these marketplace wars over the last year, which is really just a, a sort of tragedy of the commons or, or, or a race to the bottom. But very interesting guy, very interesting views in the space, of course, controversial, but I think he's definitely helping forge ahead and providing a, a sort of diverse view on how he thinks the industry is going to shift. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up too, because you mentioned he said only like 100,000 people really need to be in this space. But I remember earlier this year, you and I had a conversation alongside the former president of Polygon, Ryan Wyatt, and you told me that you believe that Web3 will add its first 10 to 100 million gamers within the next year or two. And I'd love to know, one, do you think we're still on track for that? If not, what has changed? And how will Web3 Gaming get to that first 100 million? Or do we even need to? 
Yeah, first off, I think we're, we're absolutely still on track. I mean, even if you look at sort of the games building on Immutable today, you have millions of players across Imbu, which mm-hmm. I think has roughly a, a million daily active users. You have across the ages hitting number one strategy game in, in France and Japan. They've got tens of thousands of monthly active users. And obviously, this is all a power law. Right. So the kind of thing that I, I often tell internally immutables, um, which is what we call people who work immutable, right. is it's not going to be, hey, we've got 300 games building on the platform and each of them is bringing 50,000 players. 80 to 90% of these games will fail. That is the power law of gaming in general. And you'll mm-hmm. have a hit which onboards more players than every other game combined. And then the next one will onboard more players than game three down to N combined and, and so on and so forth. And so I think it's really just how do we help accelerate those hits? How do we get as many shots on goal as possible? And how do we fix the infrastructure from preventing any hit from surviving in the first place? You know, how do you create the right conditions for those hits to emerge? And I think we're pretty much there on that last piece now. We've got self-custodial wallets, which you can sign up with less than 10 seconds. We've got order books, which can propagate and aggregate liquidity no matter what marketplace you're on, soon to be no matter what roll-up you're building on. We've got the ability for people to have the same wallet across many, many games. So you can't just deposit your funds and have them locked to one game and suddenly this liquidity is is siloed. We've gotten to the point where a Web2 game developer can build a Web3 game without even really knowing what a smart contract is and without having existential risk around bugs. And so I think those are actually really significant things that weren't in place a year ago. Even if we had content coming out a year ago, they weren't in a place to succeed because the, the hurdles for developers and the hurdles for users were too high. I think the remaining couple is probably a economic playbook that can be copied by any game for a particular kind of Web3 genre. And actually, if you look at pretty much every previous major success in a new form of gaming distribution, whether it was mobile gaming, social gaming, free-to-play, gacha gaming, it was a single game came out, became a hit, and everyone copied its metagame design. And that is actually what is required, I think, in order for people to know how to take advantage of a new distribution design. Because there are tens of thousands of game developers. Mm -hmm. Not all of them are going to be experts on, here's how I make a real money economy work. It's a really hard problem, and it's a very different skill set to what a game developer is, is used to, which is building a fun game with high retention and good monetization. And I actually think that needs to sort of be solved as a playbook. You know, when Gacha Gaming took off, when Dragon Collection in 2010 emerged on the Grease social network and suddenly you had hundreds and hundreds of, of clones and now you have, you know, Genshin Impact, you have the highest grossing games in the world, all some variation of this underlying game design. Same with Farmville and Mafia Awards, which were reskinned, you know, tens or hundreds of times. We basically need that in Web3 Gaming. If Axie Infinity had had a sustainable economy, it would already be at that 100 million player mark because people would have copied the model with higher fidelity games, with better retention, and would be there. So that's what we're working on with publishing. That's why we kind of obsess over building those economies internally because we think that is an essential you know, puzzle piece to having success. And I, I think there's some really interesting stuff on token regulatory context right now. I think there's a really interesting stuff we're seeing with WorldPoint, which in my opinion is going to completely upend marketing. Like I think mm-hmm. that the days of spending billions of dollars on performance ads is over and it's, hey, no, instead give your players value via a token and you can have a far more drastic user acquisition. You're going to have viral effects. WorldCoin is essentially bootstrapping hundreds of millions of people scanning their eyes into an orb all yeah. through this <laughs> token <laughs> where we now have a lot more regulation. I think actually there's a really interesting scalable 
performance marketing piece or, or sort of user acquisition piece there. Yeah. Robbie, I think something I hear often is that Web3 games are compared to mobile gaming. And in a way, mobile gaming, correct me if I'm wrong, when it first started, people kind of shrugged it off. Game developers didn't want to get involved in it. They kind of saw it as a waste of time because oftentimes it was free. But the winner in mobile gaming was one, the ads, and two, that people became so addicted or obsessed with these games that then they would buy the in-game assets. And that's how these games made money. How would you compare mobile gaming to Web3 gaming? What stage are we at right now Is it the stage where people are like, no, we don't need that? Or is it at that point where, hey, maybe we will get that like Candy Crush or Angry Birds of Web3 Gaming in the space? I think right now we are in the phase where there is a ton of development going on and that development is about to go live. And I also think it's a little bit bifurcated. So I think the consumer response is probably different right now between the West and between Asia. We see a lot of tailwinds in Asia, whereas I think in the West, it's going to be a more cautious approach where you're really making sure that these game designs are going to be pretty invisible in terms of Web3 under the hood. And that's just a branding piece, and, that, and that's fine. You know, there was a lot of reaction against free-to-play gaming when it first came out. But the interesting thing I'd say is, in Asia, you have literally the Japanese prime minister saying that NFTs are a core area of national business interest. You have Mitsubishi Group and MUFG literally investing into Web3 gaming companies. You have the front page of the Japan Times saying, is the US fumbling the bag with crypto? And this is going to be the next wave. Uh, In South Korea, you have their largest gaming company, Nexon, taking their largest IP, MapleStory, and putting it on the blockchain with a new variant of the game in order to experiment here. And I think the difference is the West wants to hedge. If you're an incumbent, they want to make sure that They know how to develop a successful game when this becomes the new paradigm of development and economic asset ownership. Whereas a lot of these companies in Asia have actually been at the vanguard of these previous advances. They ushered in mobile gaming. They were at the advent of free-to-play. And that means they actually see, well, hey, this is a a way to disrupt and and sort of stay at the front. So I often think of this like, the second place movers are always going to be the fastest, right? They, They want to disrupt number one. They see this as a new way to get bigger budgets, more spend. But I would say that's the main difference today. And the second thing is just we're seeing more Web2 game developers than ever continue to build. I mean, last month for Immutable was our biggest sales month ever for onboarding games. That literally is in the last two years, right? So that includes the peak of the crazy runs when everyone was looking at building a Web3 game and raising money because you could kind of do a primary sale and and make $100 million off nothing. And literally right now, in the peak of this essentially sideways market, we're onboarding more than ever. And and that is, you know, somewhat a market share reflection, but I think that's an incredible testament to people see this being a much better model for players and a lot more credible professionals are, are sort of choosing to develop. I was going to ask, what do you think is driving that growth there and that recent spike? I think in Asia, there is sort of increased regulatory clarity and there is a lot of capital markets opening up, especially in Hong Kong. You have the Hong Kong Monetary Authority developing literally a Web3 marketing fund. You have this essentially governance board that Adam Oka is is sort of leading the charge on out of there. You have a lot of Chinese game developers looking to publish globally. So I think that's one. And then I think the second is, is a very strong genre fit between Web3 gaming and a lot of the games popular in you know, Asia, which are highly collectible driven. Um, you often have, you know, your, your waifu or your husbando, which is your sort of collectibles inside these games that people can now, you know, trade and have real value around. So I think there's a lot of trends sort of converging there. But it is very interesting to see the two speeds on these right now. We're certainly seeing it still in AAA in the West, but it is 
slower. It is more cautious and they'll definitely be sort of, you know, dipping their toes with prototypes rather than going all in. Yeah, I think in general, it's pretty well known probably across the gaming community that Asia, specifically South Korea, has a very big gaming presence. They have a very big pull in that world and they kind of lead that industry. But looking at the Web3 space, do you think it's fair to say that Korea or Asia more specifically will kind of lead the race to Web3 gaming adoption? Or do you think the West will somehow scoot around and take advance? Look, you know, they're not monolithic. <laughs> There's obviously developers building in both. And mm-hmm. the breakout game may not be a AAA studio. It may very well be someone with, you know, $10 million of funding or even less who builds the next Bird, And they just figure out how to make this user acquisition strategy kind of work. So, And that, that's why we're building a platform business, right? We don't know what will be successful. We just want to help as many shops on goal uh, succeed. And obviously we have a view on, hey, we think this one has a, a better chance. We think it's a better game. But that's... It's kind of what we're thinking about. But I think one of the core things that has to be solved right now is just if you can take the billion dollars spent on performance marketing for a top game and replace that with a token or replace that with spend that is instead sharing value and you get users sharing it with each other, that is an incredibly powerful component. And I think literally the the model that we've just seen play out with WorldCoin, where we now have much more regulatory clarity post the Ripple ruling, is a really interesting one. My, My personal view is tokens are going to become the new form of acquisition for everything, including Web2 companies, because you can essentially say, well, hey, any company with a moat that isn't based on inherent product advantages, but instead usage or marketing, you can have this supercharged ability to say, well, hey, come and own a piece of this new company in exchange for you being an early adopter and, and sharing it. And so I think we're going to see that start to popularize probably over the next 10 years. All right. Robbie, we're going to take a quick break before we head into the rapid fire round. Okay, we are back, and now it's time for our rapid-fire segment where I'm going to ask Robbie some questions. Robbie, feel free to answer these in as short as responses as possible. Our guests typically aren't the best at doing that, but I have faith in you, okay? Okay, I'll try. (laughs) Would you rather onboard a higher quantity of games to your platform or more quality games? Quality, but it is hard to know. What is your favorite Web3 game right now? Uh, Ooh, I don't want to pick favorites. You got to pick favorites. <laughs> I would have to say there's many games building on the middle platform, which I love. There's Alluvium, generated okay. nine picker in sales the last 12 months. We've got Cots Unchained, Guild Guardians, Shardbound. Yeah, I can't pick favorites. It's like a parent. They, they can't pick their favorite child. I'll take it. Do you think most Web3 games are falling behind in deployment timelines? Yes or no? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that will shift as more builders are less DeFi natives and more web two developers with more experience in, in shipping to timelines. But in general, it's like these everything is pretty much delayed. Would you rather build a game or play a game? Build a game. Okay. That checks out. <laughs> Does Immutable want to acquire other Web3 gaming platforms? We are always opportunistically open to it. All right. And lastly, Ravi, do you think most traditional game developers see the potential in crypto or are skeptical slash against it? Web two game developers? Mm-hmm. I think if you had to take a straw poll of everyone, they're probably net. Oh, that's a good question. I think it would be net like 60-40, as in like neutral or against versus pretty open to it building. But we have a you know a very large market map of everyone. And we, we kind of, we put them into four categories. Never, not right now. Um, <laughs> right. Sorry, never, no, not right now. And yes, <laughs> we work on these two right now. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, that kind of takes me out of this rapid fire segment and to my next question for you is, do you think gaming needs Web3 technology as much as Web3 gaming needs, you know, gaming and for maybe these mainstream audiences to come in and play these games, contrary to what you said in the beginning of the other person about like, we only need 100,000 people. I personally feel like gaming, Web3 gaming especially, needs, you know, millions of people in order for this to really take off. And I I, I, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. But does the gaming industry need Web3 technology? Like, will that kind of advance it to the next level? Or do you think they could continue on for the next decade or whatever many years and be fine? I see. Gaming could absolutely continue in its current model. The business model works. What we are trying to do is to create a business model where players get more value. It's fundamentally a disruption. So I think the word need is always a funny one, but in my view, you essentially have an incredibly exploitative model. You have players paying for $130 billion of in-game items every year, all of which is stored in a database. Counter-Strike Go alone Mm -hmm. had $32 billion of CSGO skins traded in the last three years. If that's on-chain, we've just had the most, essentially the largest use case and the most mainstream use case in the crypto today. But instead, that $32 billion is stored in a database, players' accounts are banned every single day, and Valve can change the rules of impunity, like implementing a one-week trade lock and destroying a $300 million marketplace business overnight because of changing the rules on third parties. So I think that is the perfect model of, of what we're trying to change. And mm-hmm. uh, does the gaming industry need it? I think it is like fundamentally the, one of the most important things is building digital property rights because it's not just going to be gaming. Apple Vision Pro is coming out. We have people working in metaverses. We have people socializing in metaverses. This is literally defining the property rights for like the next digital universe that we all will live in. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's better to make it less obvious that there's Web3 technologies built into a game or should it be upfront, like when someone downloads the game, hey, this is a Web3 game, we're going to offer you in-game assets that are tradable, we're going to have other blockchain-based aspects. I don't know. You tell me. Right now. Or should it be more generic? <laughs> yeah, look, my, my view is it should be invisible. I think it's a bit mm-hmm. like, I don't know, when you play a free-to-play game or a gacha game, it's not like, I'm a gacha game, I'm a free-to-play game. The App Store does show you I have in-app transactions, but I think this stuff should be invisible. I think we've truly won when the expectation when you buy a digital asset is that you should be able to sell it rather than I'm just buying a, a line in a database. And I think that inherently requires the web threeness to kind of be either invisible or default and expected. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I feel like a lot of people just don't realize that in-game assets or NFTs, whatever you want to call them, is a positive. I think the name NFT kind of got tampered with over the years, so now people don't want to touch it. Yeah, Robbie's shaking his head, so he agrees with me. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of potential there, yeah. 100%. I mean, if you look at Gods Unchained, we've never once said the word NFT on godsunchained.com. At first, it was because we thought it was this ridiculous word, and it wasn't a popular mainstream concept. Um, and now it's just because we don't think it's important for people to adopt the underlying technology. And I think it's a great piece of wizardry or sort of like, ultimately the thing I always remind people of is it's not just Web3 people with bags. There is an entire industry, a multi-hundred billion dollar industry built off sort of incumbents benefiting from the current model. And they have every incentive to paint NFTs with the, the worst brushstroke. And, and so I think 
I, I don't really care whether we use the word NFT or not. You can use digital assets. The most important <laughs> thing is, do people have the underlying property rights? Are we doing it in a decentralized way? That's why self-custody is, is so important to me. We, we saw the Curve Finance exploit done a week ago, which is obviously on, on sort of the, the smart contract side and, and, and re-entrancy bugs. But this is why security architecture and, and self-custody is so important at every point. Mm-hmm. And maybe for those listening in who don't know that much about Web3 gaming and the technologies that come with it, obviously we talked about NFTs, but what are some other aspects that Web3 games have that maybe traditional games don't that are positive? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. I think the first thing is incentive alignment. So people often ask, well, still game developers could change how they build these games later on. You're not always guaranteed a profit. I think the most important thing is that you can have business models, which means the players have the same incentive as the creators of these companies, much like a cooperative in sort of today's corporate structures where the users or owners themselves of the company are the ones kind of doing the labor, doing the work. And I would say the best example of this is a Counter-Strike Go or a Magic the Gathering, where the secondary volumes on these games far outweigh the primary volumes. But because they have no way of capturing value, they have to instead like release new primary assets that devalue every previous asset in existence. And the estimated secondary market capitalization of Magic the Gathering cards, which are physical cards people trade, is roughly 10 to 20 billion US dollars. And if they could just take a a 5% clip or a 3% clip on those trades every year, instead of having to sell new primary assets, they would have a far more lucrative business model. But more importantly, they would have a business model that is aligned with players. Their only objective would be increase the number of people playing the game, the experience of playing the game, rather than sell more powerful new stuff at the expense of old stuff. And the second major thing I would say is we now have a set of creator economics that can properly reward people who are creating value for games. And we're seeing this is not a a sort of Web3 specific trend. This is a pretty agnostic trend. You have Kick.com rising to 20% of Twitch's market share in six months because they pay 95 and 5 rather than 50-50 for creator economics for donations. You have platforms like Roblox or Fortnite Creative becoming the most successful games in the last 20 years because they allow even some fraction of greater economics to be passed their players. Um, and we just think this is the inevitable trend of that. Like it is getting cheaper to make whatever you want with AI. There are more and more creators than ever. The platforms which actually reward them with the value they're creating are going to be the ones that end up winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up creator economics because earlier you mentioned Axie Infinity and a big conversation back in the early days of the Web3 gaming boom was around the play to earn space. And we saw a lot of tokenomics there fail or just kind of you know, do really well and then kind of taper off. And nowadays it seems less prioritized to create play to earn games and more a focus on the games itself and actually making them fun. But looking at tokenomics and creator economies behind gaming, where do you kind of see that going in the future? I think user-generated content plus allowing people to take ownership or value from royalties will be the thing. Imagine having a Roblox or a Fortnite that people are incentivized to create content or mods or or maps by owning 100% of that value they're bringing, no matter where those assets trade. It's pretty much the most powerful set of economic incentives you could ever imagine. You have global permissionless trade for any form of value where the creators can set permanent royalties on this stuff. Marketplaces can gain clips based on the value they're bringing to to trading experiences. We're obviously very bullish to go beyond us gaming and, and pretty much all real world assets, all financial assets that are that are unique as well. But I think that's that's the world we're moving towards. And one of my favorite concepts is, you know, in business you want to commoditize your complements. So if you've got a complementary good or product, you want to make that as cheap as possible. The complementary product to like gaming or, or user-generated content is the cost of generating that content itself. 
And the last two years, we've seen 2D art for games pretty much be zeroed out at cost. You know, we used to spend a million dollars a year on art for, for games. Now it's $25,000 thanks to AI technology. Next is 3D assets, maps. We're getting more and more leveraged people than ever. You'll see three-person teams creating exceptional quality games with the leverage of AI over the next 10 years. And that means we've got to design a system where creators have economic rewards because that is where winning content is going to come from. Great. Awesome. Robbie, my last question for you or request is, can you leave us with a piece of advice maybe for gamers or game developers in the Web3 space? Absolutely. Uh, if you're a game developer, I would say uh, <laughs> do not give out value based on people playing the game without having some sort of gate or flaw or backing to it. I think this is kind of the key thing that if, as long as you make sure, you know, kind of value in is, is guaranteed to have some sort of floor and value out, you'll build a successful economy um, and also keep going. There are many other people right now building, and I think we are sort of at the start of a very significant transformation of, of how people own digital stuff. And if you're a, a Web3 gamer or someone watching this podcast, welcome. You're still very early and it's great to have you here. Amazing. Robbie, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Jacqueline. We'll be back next week with conversations around what's going on in the wild world of Web3 with top players in the crypto ecosystem. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and stories we talked about can be found in our show notes. And be sure to follow us at Chain underscore Reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Jacqueline Melanick, and produced by Maggie Stamets, with assistance from Yashad Kulkarni and editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, and Henry Picavet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks for listening in. See you next time.